Hi and welcome to the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon. In each episode, we'll talk to or about an interesting person or organization related to journalism. The intent is to show that journalists are not the enemy of the people. Thank you for listening. On this episode, we're joined by Margot Snipe. Margot is a reporter for Capital B, covering critical issues affecting the mental and physical health of Black Americans. Capital B is a nonprofit newsroom serving both local and national Black audiences. Hi, Margot. Thanks for joining us. Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So let's start where we start with everybody. Is there a specific moment that would serve as your journalism origin story? Yeah, I feel like there are so many, but I think kind of the best moments for me in journalism sort of at the beginning was when I was figuring out kind of what I wanted to do and what I wanted to go into. And that was during college when I was sort of trying a bunch of different internships. A couple that really stood out to me was CNN, where I got to spend a few months on Capitol Hill, just learning how the correspondents do their job of reporting on what's happening in Congress. And then after that, I got a chance to intern with the Marshall Project, which is pretty similar to Capital B in that model of nonprofit journalism focused on a specific issue. So for the Marshall Project, it's criminal justice. But those were two two big moments for me, I'd say. Just to backtrack slightly, you went to Georgetown, right? I did. I did. And you grew up, if I'm not mistaken, overseas. You went to the American Overseas School of Rome, your Department of Defense descendant. I'm curious what that experience was like and how it contributed to your worldview and your eventually becoming a journalist. I lived in Rome, Italy for three and a half, four years, went to an international school there. I think it exposed me to a lot of different things culturally. I learned, I mean, I was fully in another culture for four years. I I played volleyball in an all-Italian team, so I can speak a bit of Italian learned some new languages, which I do think helped me understand the world and journalism a bit better. And just getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Starting out playing volleyball when it's all Italian and you're an American girl, it can be pretty uncomfortable. And I think journalism is kind of the same when you kind of get thrown into situations that you're, you don't know the community, you don't know the culture, the community, you kind of have to learn fast and be willing to. I think that 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 is a key part of my upbringing. Was there anything in your upbringing or heritage that would have moved you toward telling stories? Yeah, I'd say to that point, sort of moving around a lot just got me curious about a bunch of different things. I was I was sort of comfortable in a bunch of different environments and I always wanted to know more. So I think that part of just growing up and having bounced around the country and then abroad kind of informs my love for telling stories about the world we live in. Was there anyone in your your family in particular that was a storyteller? Yeah, so I didn't know this when I decided, oh, I think I really want to go into journalism. But I realized, I I came home and I told my dad, oh, I really think journalism's it for me. And he's like, oh, you know, I used to be a journalist. And I didn't realize that until he said it. But yeah, after college, he, he did local news as a cameraman. So there's that connection that I didn't realize existed that I, I know now. So from Georgetown, after graduating, you went on and worked at the Tampa Bay Times. Can you tell us about the work that you did there? After school, I knew I wanted to do sort of local news and writing, print journalism. So I ended up at the Tampa Bay Times as a politics intern, which was a great experience. Just Florida, if you want to learn about how to report on politics, is such a great dynamic place to learn about it. 
Um, so I spent a few months on the politics team. And at the end of my internship, we ended up getting a grant for two reporting roles, one of which ended up being mine, which was health equity reporter. So that summer was like peak COVID-19 and we're just coming off of the George Floyd protests. So it was kind of a timely beat to report on health equity. And I had that job for about a year and a half, which was great learning how to report on health disparities and sort of investigate the systems that are perpetuating them. So how did you come to be at Capital B? Before Capital B launched, and we're just coming up on our year anniversary, I usually tell people Capital B super new. And now I'm like, wow, we've been here for a year, which is pretty crazy to think about. But last December, I guess two Decembers ago, Lauren Williams, who is the co-founder and CEO of Capital B, she reached out to me and told me a bunch about the company and told me this job might be available. And I did some research and I ended up applying for the job and got the privilege to be able to be the national health reporter. So you were recruited, basically. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, just in thinking it, and I know that you are you were a college athlete, just thinking yeah. of it in, in those terms. It, it is, it is, it is, yeah. Can you tell us more about the group's mission? I, I really love it. That's why I came to join. We're a nonprofit newsroom focused on covering Black communities across the country. So it's Black-led run by amazing Black women, and we're for Black audiences. So something that's really cool is we we just center Black voices in our coverage. So stories that mainstream news might not be covering, we can pick up. Our mission is to sort of make sure those stories don't fall through the cracks and be able to highlight them. And the way it's set up, we have a national team, which I'm a part of. And then the goal is to have local newsrooms across the country that are reporting on local Black communities. So our first one is in Atlanta, and they're already doing some great work out there in Georgia focused on Atlanta's Black community. How would the local coverage differ from that of a Black newspaper? A lot of what Capital B does and what I've been super impressed with, with on the Atlanta side is really based in community engagement. So they've had a lot of community conversations that reporters have organized, bringing people in to sit down with them to talk about the issues that are most important to them, that sort of informs how we go about our coverage. And I think that's pretty unique to Capital B in the way we tell our stories. Uh, You cover how racial bias in medicine impacts our lives and investigate inequalities in the American healthcare system. And I'm going to just read a couple of examples of stories, and there's a fair number of them. Um, Mm -hmm. You've written about how physicians have shown a pattern of distrust when Black patients seek help with pain, especially Black women. It was a longer piece with a lot of specific examples. You've written about the opioid crisis, STDs, diabetes, Blacks who are waiting for transplants, hesitancy in participating in clinical trials, reparations related to the medical system's failures in treating Black patients, and the medical aspect of the Damar Hamlin story, which at the time that we're taping uh, happened very recently. And we're glad to know that he is in, has been released from the hospital, the Buffalo Bills player in, who was playing against the Cincinnati Bengals when he went into cardiac arrest. You also delve into politic, politics sometimes, and I'll deal with that actually separately. How do you come up with your health story ideas? It is definitely a mixed bag. So some of it is sort of off the news. Like when Roe v. Wade was overturned, that's sort of like, okay, how does this impact Black women, Black Americans, with the Damar Hamlin's collapse, it's sort of like, 
something I knew black folks were at higher risk for heart failure in the back of my mind. So that happens and I'm trying to connect the dots. What's the connection there? That morning I woke up from a message from my editor saying we should probably jump on this. So sometimes it is a new study that comes out that shows me something. Sometimes it's something I know in the back of my head that I'm sort of like, how do we build this out into a story? Yeah, sometimes it's my editor saying, this is a really newsy topic. Is there something we can do with it? So it kind of is all across the board in terms of how stories, how we find our stories. So what is the reporter-editor relationship like? It's great. I think one thing that I love about Capital B and that I haven't experienced in other newsrooms is the amount of time, one-on-one time I get with my editor. So we talk about breaking news when it comes up, but also I'm in the middle of a big project, the amount of time we've been able to talk through all the details that I have and really dig into it has been great. So I think the great thing about Capital B being a startup is we're kind of, we get to like play with things and see if they work and see if they don't. And there's a lot of space for reporters to pitch creative ideas to editors. And we're not a huge staff. So like, the line between me and maybe one of our co-founders isn't a super long one. So even if I wanted to go that high and just have conversations, I can. So I feel like it's a newsroom where everyone's accessible and we have a lot of conversations, whether that's over Slack or on meetings and a lot of one-on-one time, which is really good. Now, I mentioned that you move into politics sometimes. You did Q&As with Cheryl Beasley, a candidate for Senator in North Carolina, Maxwell Frost as well, was elected to Congress as the youngest congressional electee. You co-wrote how natural disasters impact voter turnout. How do you come to write about politics? Some of that is also the nature of a startup where Capital B is so small and we don't have a national politics reporter yet that it's sort of all hands on deck when it comes to covering the midterms or something like that. But specifically with the voter turnout story, around natural disasters. I'm based in Florida. So I'm the national politic, I'm the national health reporter, but I'm also the resident Florida reporter. So back in the fall when Hurricane Ian hit, I made my way down to Fort Myers and I went straight to the black community and started talking to folks. And they mentioned how their fear that Hurricane Aid would bypass them. And we did a couple stories on that. FEMA ended up responding to some of the reporting, but in some of that reporting, as we're talking about the elections coming up, how is that going to affect voting and sites are shut down and what's that going to look like? So we ended up turning that into a story. You talked about impact and the work that FEMA did. What other impact have you seen off of reporting that you've done? Capital B is in a really unique position because if mainstream news is covering one thing, we're looking at it from the angle of how does it impact Black Americans. I've seen a lot of our coverage on any beat sort of shift the way that other news outlets are covering topics. I know Monkeypox was a big one where our story idea, we wrote a story about how Black Americans were disproportionately affected by it, but U.S. officials weren't talking about that. That idea was just sparked from we were listening to a media briefing and we didn't hear the disparities mentioned at all. So we're kind of like, maybe that's a story. We ended up writing it. And Atlanta did some good work on this too. And we saw other outlets start talking about how the virus was impacting Black Americans. So I think that that's sort of shifting the way we view impact. It could be federal agencies like FEMA, but it can also be 
around what conversations folks are having, whether that's agencies or other journalists. I mentioned the Q&As that you did, Cheryl Beasley and Maxwell Frost. The, I just recently, we did an episode where a reporter that we interviewed in Alaska got a chance to interview the governor one-on-one. What, were the, what was the experience of doing those interviews like and what was the process of prepping for them? Well, it's nice because I spent a lot of time when I was figuring out exactly what my beat would be in politics. CNN and then the Tampa Bay Times is a politics intern. So I always kind of love going back to it and getting into it. But I love being able to sort of focus on politics through a lens of the issues that are affecting folks. So a lot of those Q&As just I kind of framed through a health perspective of both those candidates were thinking about health and thinking about health in a broad way. So just health as people's well-being. So whether we're looking at environmental justice or mental health, which have been big topics, or gun violence, those have, those have been in ways to broaden how we view health. And so talking to those candidates about what we mean when we say health was was really interesting. And I think the prep just looked like sort of some background reading and learning what their policy platforms were and getting them to chat about some of that. What you kind of got into this here in terms of what the characteristics of your writing are, I'm curious about what would people say about uh, describe Margot the reporter? I know how I would like them to describe Margot Snipe reporting. Some things that I love are accountability journalism, narrative writing, and data. So anytime I get to combine all of those different aspects, it's a fun time. I think some of the Fort Myers hurricane reporting was fun because we got to do some breaking news, some accountability journalism, and, you know, we're walking on the streets talking to folks and, you know, I could practice some creative writing in that sense as well. I'm also drawn to emotional pieces. I know you mentioned the piece about physicians dismissing Black women's pain. I think I got some messages after that, and I think that resonated with a lot of people. And even the women that I spoke to who were finally feeling like they could share their stories felt good about it. So, yeah. Are you doing stories where where things that may have, maybe they happened to you or happened to a family member or happened to a friend, and you bring a unique perspective to that because of because of the the fact that they happen to other black women or that or or family members i'd say yes and i'd also say something that surprised me like with saying with that same story black women's pain i didn't necessarily go into it like oh i've been treated that way too but after i did the reporting i wrote it you know it's published i thought about like some of the times in my life where similar things have happened i mean I was an athlete for a long time, played in college. So, I mean, that that definitely comes up when you have injuries and you're dealing with athletic training staff and what that looks like. So I definitely do find myself kind of reflecting on how these things play out in my daily life. And I have a difficulty shutting down my reporting sometimes. I'm working on a maternal health project. And so every time I see like a pregnant woman, I have to stop myself from asking <laughs> Asking questions about their whole experience and everything like that. But yep. yeah. So what piece are you most can you tell us about a piece that you're most proud of? Yeah, there are a few. One one that I thought was a really interesting one, just published pretty recently. 
over the holidays. And that was about the kind of a movement around reparations in healthcare. It's something that I hadn't heard a ton about, but being able to dig into it and say, have reparations happened for wrongdoings in healthcare? Um, have they been done before and what would they look like? And what does the movement look like? And where do people want to go? It was sort of a really cool opportunity to get ahead of something like that. Yeah, that that ran December 30th, both on your site and on Vox. And I remember when I saw the headline, the first thing I thought of was Henrietta Lacks. Um, mm-hmm. As I had just read a, a maybe a year or so ago, I read the book that was written about her. Uh, mm-hmm. And that is a, a, that's a particularly compelling story in a lot of ways. Can you walk us through a day in the life? Maybe give us an idea of maybe use the Jamar Hamlin piece or use that one that you were just talking about and take us through like idea to completion, what you did, like the steps along the way. Sure. Yeah. The Jamar Hamlin one, anytime it's breaking news, it's a little different. I kind of like whatever's on my schedule, whether it's for a project or something kind of goes out the window. I usually have a check-in meeting with my editor to talk about exactly what the story would say, or either I ping an idea for her, or she pings an idea for me. We talk about exactly what the story would say. I go digging through experts. I have this Google spreadsheet of, you know, all the people I know and how to contact them, kind of dig for experts, send off emails, try to pull some data if it's relevant. And with DeMar Hamlin, I was really focused on keeping up to date with his latest condition because it was changing and updates were coming out and that was also relevant to the story. I also worked pretty closely with the social team so pinging them, brainstorming with them, doing the interviews, writing, filing, kind of going back and forth with my editor, also trying to repurpose some of the story writing for a Twitter thread and then eventually it's all published online. (laughs) How long is it from idea to completed product in that Mar Hamlin was pretty fast. That was like, you know, morning, 8 a.m. to end of day. So that was pretty fast. Then I have like a project I've been working on for almost a year that basically it has the exact same process. It's just over the course of an entire year. Wow, that's intense. So on the company website, you said that your favorite Black storytellers and creators are your sources, specifically citing their courage and speaking up. What do you do to make sure that your sources are comfortable in doing so? I feel like people ask this question about interviews a lot and they just don't know what to say because I think that I just show up as me and I, especially if it's like a big story or like a sensitive topic, I do show up very nervous and I think my sources can feel that. They probably can. They must be able to. Maybe that makes them more comfortable that I'm just like, you know, I'm like, ah, I don't really know. There's no pressure. Let's just chat. That's well, doesn't doesn't empathy come across? I would like to think so. I hope so. How has being a journalist changed how you view the world? I think I notice a lot more about things that are happening. I know I even mentioned earlier, like, before I started this maternal care project, I didn't notice pregnant women as much as I do now. It's kind of like everywhere. I notice trends and patterns a lot more. And I think it's always interesting too, if you're like at dinner with a friend or coffee with a friend, I think so much of the work journalists do kind of come up in just conversation, which is 
really cool and kind of adds some depth to the life we're living. So how do you view the profession as a young Black woman? That's a big question. That is a big question. The I guess the first thing that comes to my mind is I'm really supportive of and encouraged by the somewhat new wave of how we're doing journalism, which is the nonprofit model focused on issues. I think that that's important. I think that having Black women in leadership in newsrooms is really important. And I, I do see the industry moving in that direction. So that is positive and encouraging. But I will always think journalism is important. The work every news outlet does is important. So yeah, as long as we keep expanding our sources and who we're talking to, I see it as positive. So it's moving in a good direction. I see glimpses of it. I see glimpses of it. But the thing is, when misinformation gets involved, I think that's part of Capital B's mission to combat some of it because we have access to so much information. But I do think journalists are working to combat some of it. Where would you say that, that things need to still kind of improve for Black women in the industry? Definitely increasing diversity within the newsrooms that are predominantly white creating an environment so that Black women feel safe and comfortable in those newsrooms, but also making sure the coverage reflects the makeup of the community is really important. So things like that, I see some pushes for in newsrooms and we can always be better. Um, yeah. How do you manage, uh, you mentioned before, you mentioned being able to turn on and off your journalistic mind. How do you manage your mental health? This is also a great question and I'm very, I'm not very good at it. I am, I have a therapist, so that's a start. I've learned to, and I think we believe as journalists, we can never turn our news alerts off. I've, I've learned that if I'm not working, sometimes I have to, so I'm not getting a barrage of negativity on my phone all the time. And also finally finding friends in journalism who you can talk to about things that are happening. But I'm also a fan of, I know I write for a living, but journaling has always been good. But you, one thing that you also do that you didn't mention, you kind of alluded to it earlier, you were a college volleyball player at Georgetown. You were the president of Georgetown's Student Athlete Advisory Committee. And I believe you're coaching volleyball now. Is that right? I am. Yes, I am. What's, what's that experience like? It's great. So I guess, yes. Working out, physical fitness, and volleyball are good for my mental health. I am recovering from an injury, so I'm not able to work out now. So that's been an interesting journey since I've worked out pretty much my entire life. But kind of along the note of turning off news alerts, coaching volleyball has been great because I I just I put my phone in my bag. I have a watch for time, and I can't check my phone for a few hours. So that's always good just to put energy towards something, something other than journalism at times that I'm passionate about has been good. Were you a good college volleyball player? Okay. I worked my way from walking onto the team to starting. So the growth there, the growth there was good. I'm intrigued by the idea that you were the president of the Student Athlete Advisory Committee. What were the sorts of things that you did and do any of those translate into what you've done along the way in your future. Yeah, that was an interesting experience. So Georgetown, the Big East, and the NCAA, 
Schools have SACs, student athlete advisory committees that are kind of a bridge between administration and student athletes. So a lot of what I did was plan meetings, you know, SAC meetings to talk to student athletes about different things, plan events, see how we can get student athletes involved in different things. I had monthly meetings with Georgetown's athletic director to kind of be that bridge. Like, what do we need to focus on? If if he had things that he wanted a student athlete opinion on, he'd sort of come to me about a lot of planning, a lot of being able to talk to people. Also, I'd say similar to journalism, a lot of vulnerable conversations. Conversations around sexual assault on campus came up. Also race and how that plays out in sports came up. So definitely an interesting role that I I can see now just talking through it has some parallels to journalism. Nice. What's an area that you still feel you're learning in as a journalist? I really want to get better at using data in my stories. The health beat is pretty data heavy, but I, I want to be able to put in more data requests and be able to analyze my own data and incorporate that into stories. So that's something I've been working on doing and then always developing just as a writer, like narrative writing. So kind of craft skills, I'm looking forward to being able to learn more about. And Capital B is is growing, right? They're adding a couple of local coverage areas this year? Yes, which I'm excited about. Because, yeah, I do believe that that's core to Capital B's mission. But we have Atlanta, and then we're going to have a couple of other cities by this time next year. Is there something on which, is there a topic on which you feel like you have expertise within your career that you can give advice on to young aspiring journalists? One, I got an email the other day from someone in college, just like, can we get a virtual coffee? And I did. And one of the biggest things I told her was, like exactly what she was doing, reaching out and talking to people who have jobs that you think you might want to have is a great, is a great step to getting to know different beats and different companies and um, forming connections in journalism, which I'd say are pretty, pretty important. The show is called The Journalism Salute. We salute our guests for their good work and ask that you do likewise. Is there a journalist or journalism organization, not capital B, that you would like to salute for their good work? Yeah, I I super want to salute Capital B Atlanta, and I know it's part of Capital B. Their local coverage is super important. But I'd also say one organization we work with a lot is the 19th that focuses on women and gender issues. I would like to salute them for the work that they do. Sure. We have had Mario Padilla from the 19th was a guest on a earlier episode. We will include that link in the show notes. Margot Snipe, thank you for taking the time to join us and best of luck. We will be following your career. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Thank you for listening to the Journalism Salute. Please let us know what you think of the show. You can find us on Twitter at JournalismPod, and you can email us at JournalismSalute at gmail.com.